Uh, last year, my daughter, Emily, she threw this great big party for my one-year-old grandson's birthday. So Cal is, is his name. And uh, I don't know if you have a one-year-old in your extended family, but these one-year-old parties are a big deal these days. I mean, they're a huge extravaganza. They rival Christmas. And so we went out to Portland for a themed party for Cal, and the theme was Lumberjacks. Okay, everything was lumbered. People came, about 50 people came to my daughter and son-in-law's home dressed in red and black checkered flannel shirts. I think we got, yeah, that's my lumberjack kiddos there. And there was a huge cake that looked like a log. And there was a photo booth. You could dress up like a lumberjack. We had fake beards. And there was a, a long handle axe that you could wheel, which is a really good thing to have at a preschool party, right? So yeah, just watch those kids swinging the axe. And uh, at the end of the day, when you send people home with party favors, the party favor was a live evergreen sapling, which you got to take home and plant in your backyard. And it left me wondering, how is my daughter going to top this in future years? Okay, well, today at Christ Community Church, we're going to talk about themed parties. Themed parties. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. It's an easy book to find. It's just three books in from the front cover. And you'll find an outline as part of your program or on your, your phone app if you're following that. Please follow along and fill it in because we're covering a lot of stuff today. And all you really need to do, you need to take away one nugget. Something you, you think in the course of this sermon, ah, that's what God wants me to hear and apply to my own life. So we are in the fourth week of a six-part series on the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And this series tracks with a daily Bible reading schedule that at Christ Community we encourage everybody to follow. So we estimate there are probably over 2,000 people. So 2,000 men, women, students, children who are reading the Bible on a daily basis following our Bible-savvy schedule and maybe using a Bible-savvy journal, filling in you know, what insights and applications for their lives they're getting each day. By the way, you don't have to start the schedule at the beginning. So if you've not jumped in yet, at any time you want, just pick up a Bible-savvy uh, journal and start reading with the rest of us. And if you're determined to become a daily Bible reader, one other tool I'd recommend to you. Pick up an NIV study Bible. Okay, you probably heard about these. Uh, we sell them at Resource at e each of our four campuses. If you want a hard copy, you could get an electronic copy for your phone or your, your tablet. And on every page of the Bible, there are gobs of footnotes that explain the difficult-to-understand stuff. So when you're reading through Leviticus, it's really helpful to have an NIV study Bible. Now, today, we're going to focus on Leviticus 23 because you're going to be reading Leviticus 23 later on this week. And Leviticus 23 is all about themed parties. These are parties that God himself threw on an annual basis for the nation of Israel, for Old Testament believers who lived before the time of Christ. These annual, annual parties were called festivals. The, the Hebrew word festival means to spin around or to dance. So you, you could tell these were intended to be joyous, celebrative occasions. Seven of them every year, seven special festivals. And these seven festivals, listen to this, these seven festivals all pointed to Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to the planet at Bethlehem, these seven festivals were predicting, prophesying his coming. They're, they're, they're what we might call pictorial prophecies. Now, what do I mean pictorial prophecies? 
Uh, you may be aware of the fact that the, the Bible is filled with hundreds of prophecies. Many of that, them have already been fulfilled. Okay, and this is what makes the Bible such an amazing, such a supernatural book. Some of the prophecies have to do with Jesus' first coming. Uh, so Moses, writing 1,400 years before Christ in the Old Testament book of Numbers, says that one day God's going to send the world a new leader, a great leader, and his arrival is going to be announced by a bright star in the sky. Sound familiar? Like Christmas time, Jesus? Micah, the prophet, writing 700 years before Jesus, seven centuries before Christ, Micah says that this great ruler who's coming is going to be born in the obscure village of Bethlehem. Isaiah, the prophet, writing about the same time, about 700 B.C., says that this great leader, this savior, is going to die a violent death. He's going to be executed alongside criminals. He's going to be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he's going to be raised from the dead. Like we're talking Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amazing. All of these prophecies pointing to the coming of Christ. Verbal prophecies. Verbal prophecies. Now, the festivals we're about to take a look at in Leviticus chapter 23, they're not verbal prophecies, they're pictorial prophecies. They're prophecies about Christ's coming in pictorial form. So if you got your Bible open to Leviticus 23, we're going to look at seven of these annual festivals that point to Christ in picture form. 1,400 years before Jesus comes to the planet. I want to start reading at the beginning of the chapter, so if you got your Bible open, Let's read at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see the words on the screen. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you're to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work. Wherever you live, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. Now stop there. You, you see the word festivals? It's already popped up a couple of times in verse 2. But before we get to a description of the seven festivals, verse 3 tells us about a day, a special day that's not to be celebrated once a year, but a day that's to be celebrated once a week. Six days, God's word says, you do all your work, but the seventh day is to be special, and we're going to call it a, call it out, a Sabbath. Now, I didn't hear the uh, decalb campus, call it out loud enough. So let's try more, one more time. Six days you work, the seventh day is a special day, it's called a? It's a Sabbath. So, you know, how is the Sabbath day different from the other six days? And in what way is it connected to the seven festivals that we're about to, to read about? Right, let me start with the second half of that question. How is the Sabbath like the seven annual festivals? Well, the Sabbath was a template. It was a pattern, a prototype of those seven festival days. The seven festival days were supposed to be just like a Sabbath day. So that begs the question, what's a Sabbath day like? How is a Sabbath day different? What's so special about this one day every week? Okay, three things happen in the life of someone who is one of God's people, someone who today is a Christ follower, three things are to happen one day every week. And they're all found in verse 3 as the Sabbath is described there. The first thing is rest. God wants us to rest. You see that in the second line of verse 3? The seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. Drop down a line. You are not to do any work. 
So one day a week, God wants his people to take a break from whatever it is they've been doing the other six days of the week. So you take a break from your job. You take a break from school. Yay. You take a break from whatever you've been doing in a crazy, busy fashion the rest of the week. So what would that look like for you? If you were to take a day of rest, you know, typically Sunday, what would you take a rest, a break from? Hey, maybe if you shop six days a week, maybe Sunday's a good day to say, hey, we're not going to shop on Sunday. Now I'm starting to meddle with your life, aren't I? Yeah. Or maybe if you're always running your kids around to sports events during the week and uh, music lessons and ballet thing, maybe you say, you know, Sunday, we're not going to do, do the runaround thing. Or maybe you say, hey, I work six days a week, no calling customers, no contacting clients on Sunday. It's going to be a day of rest. Maybe if you're listening um, to media all week long and you're following Facebook and Instagram, you say, none of that on Sunday. I'm going to take a rest. I'm getting real radical now, aren't I? So one day a week, God says, is different from the rest. One day a week, you rest. Second, one day a week, you gather. Look at the middle of verse 3. The Sabbath day is to be a day of sacred assembly. See that phrase? Sacred assembly. God wants us to assemble. He wants us to gather with other believers. Now, sure, there's something to be said for some alone time on a Sabbath. You know, you could be alone and you could sip your cup of coffee and you could read a book and you could take your dog for a walk in the woods. But God's word says you also need to gather because you need the energy that comes from, from other brothers and sisters in the faith to stimulate your own spiritual growth and vitality. See, that's what we're doing right now. This, this is why it's so important to, to protect this time of gathering once a week at Christ Community Church. And let me say, if you're watching the live stream because you're, you're sick or you're on a vacation break or whatever, you know, you want to get back with the church gathering as soon as you can. We, we need each other. We need the life that comes from each other. That's why we do zones. Because we don't want you to come and not gather. You, you come and you sit in a seat and you never say hi to anybody. You know, that's not gathering. What's the third thing we're to do? We're to rest, we're to gather, third, we're to worship. Look at the last line of verse 3. It says, the weekly Sabbath day is to the Lord. If you've got your own Bible underlined, to the Lord. Sometimes I hear Christ followers say, oh, I get it, the Sabbath is to be a day of rest. You know, that's why occasionally I skip church to go play a restful round of golf. Or go for a restful day at the beach or do a weekend day. no. No, it's to be a day of rest, but a day of worship, too. This is the one day a week different from the other six. When we focus on God, we renew our commitment to him. By gathering and worshiping, we're saying, you're the most important thing in our lives. That's why we crowd out everything else in order to do what we're doing right now. You get it? Good. This is the day that's to be different from all others. We rest, we gather, we worship. This is what God wants us to do one day every week called a Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a pattern, it was a template, it was a prototype for the seven Old Testament annual festival days we're about to look at. And let me remind you, these seven festival days, they are pictorial prophecies, they all point to Christ. They're all celebrations of a coming Savior. So I'm going to take a look at the first three festivals together with you. And here's what they celebrate. Festivals 1, 2, and 3, they're a celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
through a celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection. If you got your Bible open, we left off at verse 3. Let's pick it up at verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Okay, we're going to talk about the festivals. The sacred assemblies you're to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover. Okay, that's festival number one. Got a Bible? Circle it, put number one. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And on the 15th day of that month, the very next day, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread. Underline that. That's the second festival. Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast, and on the first day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Sounds just like a Sabbath. Okay, two festivals, Passover and Unleavened Bread. I'm going to lump them together with a third festival in just a moment because all three of the first three festivals occurred within a week of each other in springtime. So it begins with Passover. What does Passover celebrate? Well, it celebrates in Old Testament times the fact that God had delivered his people from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, if you know the story, God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses, sent Moses to Pharaoh. Moses said to Pharaoh, he said, you got to let God's people go. Got to set them free. Pharaoh said, "Uh uh-uh. God said, "Uh uh-huh. And God, to convince Pharaoh, sent 10 plagues. Kind of got his attention. So the first nine plagues came and went, and Pharaoh still wouldn't let God's people go. But then God sent the 10th plague, death. The angel of death. God sent the angel of death to Egypt to kill every firstborn child and animal. And he protected his own people, God did, by giving them instructions through Moses. He said, this is what you need to do before the angel of death arrives. You need to kill a little lamb and take its blood and smear it on the doorposts of your home. And when the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over your house. Pass over. Over. That's how we get Passover. Well, well this, this tenth plague, this was a game changer for Pharaoh. Th- this finally got his attention. And he brought in Moses and he said, okay, you, you get out of here. You take your people and you, you get out of here right now. And so Moses, he wasn't going to take any chances that Pharaoh would change his mind. He told his people, we got to leave quick. In fact, if you're getting food ready for tonight's meal, if you're cooking some bread, don't take time to add yeast to the bread and throw it in the oven after it's risen. Don't do that. Just take the unleavened raw dough and run. Get your stuff and run. We're leaving. We're leaving now. So you got Passover and you got unleavened bread. You see how the two go together? Originally, Passover and unleavened bread were a combined celebration of God's deliverance from the angel of death and from slavery, from slavery in Egypt. Okay, friends, fast forward 1,400 years. Do you remember what Jesus was doing with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest buds on the night before he was crucified, the night before Jesus died? What what, what were they celebrating together? Call it out. Passover. Passover, now, we don't call it today Passover. We, we call what they were doing the Last Supper. I think we got a picture of it here. Looked absolutely nothing like that. Okay, that picture's 12 white guys sitting on chairs on the same side of the table. Didn't happen like that. But you get the idea. This is what they were doing. They were celebrating Passover, and the very next day, Jesus died on the cross. Now, I want you to see the significance of the timing of Jesus' crucifixion right at Passover. 
The, the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, as our Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus died, his blood was shed, so that people could be delivered from the angel of death. What do I mean by that? Well, well the Bible says that the penalty for our sins is death. Every one of us is a sinner. You know, every day we make multiple decisions a day to go our way instead of God's way. You've heard me say this before. When you disconnect from God, when you disconnect from the one who is the giver of life, the source of life, the result, the consequence is death. The Bible says that Jesus took the death that you and I deserve to die when he died on the cross. The Bible says if we'll surrender our loves our lives to Jesus, if we'll identify with the one who shed his blood for us, we'll be spared the angel of death, eternal death, and be given the gift of new life, life that begins the second you surrender your life to Christ and continues on into eternity. Now, before we leave Passover and unleavened bread behind, I said there was a third festival that went with these first two because it was celebrated within a week of Passover and unleavened bread. And this, this third festival was called First Fruits. So go back to Leviticus 23 and look at verse 9. Over verse 9, it says the heading, Offering the First Fruits. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain, okay, the first grain you harvest. Now, the harvest referred to in these verses was the barley harvest. Okay, the barley harvest, the third Old Testament festival called First Fruits, was a celebration of the barley harvest, and it took place at the same time that God's people were celebrating festivals number one and number two, Passover and unleavened bread. So how did they celebrate First Fruits? I just read a portion of the celebration to you. People took a sheaf of their newly harvested garlic, uh, barley grain and they brought it to the Lord as an offering. You know, it was their way of saying, God, th this crop that you've given us that sustains our lives, we thank you for it. We recognize life is coming from your hands. Now, once again, I want you to fast forward 1,400 years. See, if the, if the first two festivals, Passover and unleavened bread, if they were pictures that pointed to Jesus' death on the cross, what do you think the festival of first fruits pointed to? Okay, picture in your mind this, this life that comes from this crop, seed that was underground, now, now comes above ground. What, what is this a picture of? Call it out if you think you know. Exactly, Jesus' resurrection. See, after Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, our sins deserve death, he rose from the dead. He came back to life. And Jesus promises, as I said a moment ago, he promises to give new life to each person who surrenders their lives to him. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, he's using the name of the third Old Testament festival. Jesus is the first fruits of those who've died. So if you, if you follow this, Paul's saying just as God raised Jesus from the dead, one day God will raise from the dead all who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. He's the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. 
So you got these first three Old Testament festivals, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, pictorial prophecies. They announce Jesus' death and resurrection. My question for you is, how do we celebrate these things today? How do we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection today at Christ Community Church? We do it in two ways. Okay, one way we do once a month. We do it the first weekend of every month when we take communion. Okay, some churches call it Holy Eucharist or the Lord's Table. You know, we call it communion. And those who are followers of Jesus, who've surrendered to Christ, when we do this once a month, you, you, you eat a little cube of bread and you drink a little cup of juice, symbolic of the, the body of Christ that was hung on the cross to die for our sins, the blood that was shed so the angel of death would pass over us. And then we sing songs of praise for the fact that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, come back to life, to offer us the gift of life. And then once a year, we do this really big. We call it Holy Week. You know, once a year, on Good Friday, we celebrate his death on the cross. And on Easter, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. That's just around the corner for us. In fact, let me ask you, how will you get ready for this big party, for this big celebration? I don't know if you've noticed this, but every week when Clayton and I preach at the end of our sermon notes, we, we list four or five questions that will stimulate some application of the sermon to your life. And they're discussion questions for you to talk about with your family or your friends or your, your community group. If you look at the bottom of your program today, the second question asks, how are you going to prepare for Holy Week? What's going to make it special for you? I mean, if this is one of the big parties of the year, if this is bigger than your high school graduation party, Okay, if this is bigger than your baby shower party or your parents' 50th anniversary party, how's it going to be big and special for you? Now, I know you're waiting for me to answer the question, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to let you chew on that, okay? Because that, that's a discussion question for you to consider. How is, how is Holy Week going to be special? Or is it going to come and go, and the next day we're going to say, oh, yeah, it was Easter weekend. Or will it be something really special for our individual lives and for our family and for friends maybe that we bring to church? With oh, I'm already hinting at what you could do to make it special. But how will it be special for you? So the first three festivals point to Jesus' death and resurrection. Fourth festival. It was a picture of the celebration of Jesus in gathering. Okay, the fourth festival was called the Festival of Weeks. And if you go back to Leviticus 23, drop down to verse 15, you'll see the heading over verses 15 to 22. What, what does it say? It says, the festival of weeks. Okay, why was it called weeks? Well, because it took place 50 days, which is roughly seven weeks, seven weeks after Passover. And, and this was the time of year, this was late May, early June for the second harvest. Okay, the first harvest, you remember I told you a moment ago, was when they gathered in the barley crop. The, the second harvest is when they gathered in the wheat crop. And so people would bring a portion of their wheat crop to the Lord as an offering. This is how they celebrated. So how in the world did this festival of weeks point to Jesus? Well, Jesus liked to use the imagery of a harvest to describe his mission on planet Earth. Now, Jesus' mission when he came to earth, it was not to gather barley into a barn. It was to gather people into a relationship with God. It was a people harvest that Jesus was all about. 
Uh, on one occasion, Matthew records, Matthew chapter 9, he records a time when gobs of people were coming to Jesus. They wanted his teaching, they wanted his healing, and Jesus looked over this vast sea of humanity and his heart went out to them because he could see that they were disconnected from God. And so he says at the end of, of Matthew chapter 9, let me read it to you. In fact, do we have it? Yeah, we got it up there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. So Jesus is not talking, again, he's not talking about a harvest of wheat. He's talking about a harvest of people. He used the wheat harvest that was celebrated during the festival of weeks to point to this harvest of people. Now, when I was a boy growing up in traditional church, we used to sing a, an old hymn about this people harvest. It was called Bringing in the Sheaves. Anybody remember that one? Yeah, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We should come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. As a boy, I had no idea what that meant. N not, in fact, I thought we were singing bringing in the cheese. You know, <laughs> bringing in the cheese. What's, what's cheese got? It's not a harvest of cheese. It's a song about harvesting people, gathering people into a relationship with God. How does this gathering take place? Well, for starters, Jesus made it possible by dealing with the one big roadblock that stood between God and us, the roadblock of our sin. Jesus removed that roadblock, as we learned a moment ago, by his death and resurrection. So we can now be harvested if we want to. We could be gathered into a relationship with God if we're willing to surrender our lives to Jesus. And what's more, and this is the really great part, once we've been gathered into a relationship with God, we can help other people experience the same thing. How? By sharing the good news of Jesus with them. We can become harvesters. Now, now, with that in mind, let me tell you something very special about the annual festival of weeks that points to this opportunity God now gives us to harvest other people. Okay, Jesus says that if we want to be part of this harvest mission, okay, if we want to draw other people into a relationship with God, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull this off. Okay, if you want to see other people come to faith in Christ through your life, you're going to need the Holy Spirit of God on the inside. Well, shortly before Jesus left the planet, just after his resurrection, and he's about to return to heaven, he gathers his disciples together, and he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to wait till you get the Holy Spirit, because that's going to launch your mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. And once you've received this power, you will be my witnesses. You will be harvesters to the ends of the earth. So Holy Spirit power gives us the ability to share Christ with others in a winsome way. And then not long after Jesus says this, he goes to heaven. Shortly thereafter, he sends the Holy Spirit. If you want to read the description of this, it's amazing. It's found in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes one day and fills this, you know, this meager group of Christ followers who weeks before had been so timid, had been so frightened, so cowardly, they had fled at Christ's crucifixion. Now they're filled with the Spirit and they're bold witnesses. They're telling everybody they meet the good news about Jesus. In fact, Simon Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up in front of the big crowd in downtown Jerusalem 
And he he tells the story of Jesus so convincingly that 3,000 people surrender their lives to Christ on the spot. 3,000 people. And here's a really cool part. What day did this happen? What day did the Holy Spirit come and fill Peter and other believers and cause 3,000 people to come to Christ? It was the festival of weeks. That was the day. It was the day that celebrated harvest, and this was a people harvest. Now, today, Christ followers, we don't refer to it as the festival of weeks. We call it by another name. Anybody know the name we call it today? Pentecost. Okay, why Pentecost? Well, Penta, you know, means five, so think 5050 days. Remember, seven weeks after Passover is the festival of weeks. Well, seven weeks later is Pentecost, 50 days later, Pentecost. When we celebrate this big ingathering, if you want to be part of this, you surrender your life to Christ and he gathers you into a relationship with God and then he gives you the job of gathering others. What a mission. Now, one last point about this before we move on to the next festival. How do we celebrate this ingathering at Christ Community Church? Okay, when when people come to Jesus and surrender their lives to him, begin to follow him, I'll give you a hint. We did it two weeks ago here. What is it called at Christ Community? Baptism. Exactly. And every year, several times a year, we do this across four campuses, and and hundreds of people get baptized every year at Christ Community Church as a declaration that I've surrendered my life to Christ. I've been gathered into a relationship with God. And that's how we do it big. That's our harvest, our um, festival of weeks, our harvest celebration here at Christ Community Church. Okay, let's take a look at the fifth the fifth festival, it is a celebration of Jesus' return. Okay, a celebration of Jesus' return. And this is the, the festival of trumpets. So if you're still open to Leviticus 23, drop down to verse 23. Over this paragraph, it says the festival of trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly, commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Trumpet blasts. Uh, Of all the things, all the items in my mom and dad's home today, the one thing I hope to inherit, and I'm I'm not saying this because, uh, you know, I'm trying to get rid of my mom and dad. So mom and dad, if you're watching right now on live stream down in Florida, please, Okay, here are things I don't want from you, okay? Mom, I love you, but I, you know, I don't need the rider mower, okay? And I don't need the grand piano, and I don't need the silverware, but here's what, I want the gong. You're, you're, you're per- perplexed, right? Well, the, the gong's about this big, and it originally came from India. My, my dad grew up, he was a missionary kid in India, but that's not why I want the gong. I want the gong because of what the gong announced throughout my childhood. See, that gong announced supper every day. So no matter where I was, whatever neighbor's backyard, I was playing baseball or kick the cannon, my mom would lean out the door and she'd bang the gong, gong the gong, I don't know what you call it. And I would come running because I loved my mom's cook and I loved food and the gong said, food, food is ready. Well, if you lived in ancient Israel and you heard the blast of trumpets, you knew something special was about to occur. 
And the the most special trumpet fanfare of the year happened one day a week. It was called the Festival of Trumpets, and the trumpets sounded again and again and again. Now, Now, this announced the day itself, the Festival of Trumpets, which was the first of the fall festivals. So there were four festivals in spring. We've already looked at those. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and weeks. They all happened within about a month of each other in spring. Then there was a four-month break. And then there were three additional festivals. The first one being the Festival of Trumpets announced with the fanfare of trumpets. What did they signify? Well, this trumpet blast was a reminder that one day, listen, one day the Lord would come to earth. One day the Lord would come to earth. And so the festival of trumpets announced the coming of the Lord. Well, in in the New Testament, the sounding of trumpets is often associated with Jesus' second coming. Jesus returned to earth at some point in the future. Now, there are three aspects of Jesus' return that the festival of trumpets point to. So let let me mention them quickly. The first is repentance. Okay, the trumpets called you to repentance. You stop and think about this. If the Lord is coming, and that's what the trumpets say, then you better get right with the Lord, right? I mean, you you don't want the Lord showing up and you, you being out of touch with the Lord. So if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and said, I need a savior to take away my sin, You get that right. In fact, if you're a Christ follower, but you've been living with unconfessed sin in your life, it's been building up. You know, this festival was a reminder. Get right with God. Confess your sin to Jesus. Get it forgiven. Now, the the, the Old Testament festival of trumpets was the most solemn day on the Jewish calendar. It was a day of self-evaluation. You're looking in the mirror and saying, what needs to change? It was the first day of the first month of the civil new year. Now, now the Jewish calendar had two New New Year's days. It had a religious New Year's day. That was Passover. Happened back in the spring. But then it had a second, a civil New Year's day, and that happened in the fall. That was the, the, the festival of trumpets. So what better way to start the new year than by getting right with God? You know, getting rid of the clutter of sin in your life and turning back to him. Second thing these trumpets announced was resurrection. In fact, a a belief began to develop in ancient Judaism that the resurrection of the dead would actually take place on the festival of trumpets. That one day the Lord would return and the dead would be raised. If you look at a Jewish graveyard today, you will see on many stones, cemetery stones, gravestones, you'll see an inscription of a shofar. It's a ram's horn made into a trumpet. Once again, the New Testament picks up on this theme, and it applies it to Jesus, his second coming. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the festival of trumpets pointed to the resurrection 
the resurrection of Christ followers, and the big resurrection will occur when Jesus returns to earth. One final thing, repentance, resurrection. When you heard the trumpets, it meant rain, the reign of a new king. Not on the festival of trumpets, but any day of the year when a new king was crowned, when he was coronated, when he took the throne, the trumpets would sound announcing a new king is in charge, is ruling. And once again, the New Testament takes this and applies it to Jesus, his return. Revelation 11 verse 15 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I can never read or hear those words without thinking about Handel's Messiah. You know, it's playing in the background of my mind. That song, he will reign forever and ever. So when Jesus returns... It'll be announced with a trumpet fanfare like you've never heard before. And Jesus will begin to reign over an eternal kingdom. So be ready. You know, be ready by the way you live. Live a repentant lifestyle. And this brings us to the final Old Testament harvest that we're going to look at today. The seventh festival points to a celebration of Jesus' eternal kingdom. Okay, Jesus eternal kingdom. Now this, this seventh festival was called the Festival of Tabernacles. If your Bible is still open to Leviticus chapter 23, you may have noticed that we skipped over festival number six. Okay, and you're wondering what happened? Like you just went from the fifth festival, which was the festival of trumpets, and now you're talking about the seventh festival, the, the festival of tabernacles. What's festival number six? Well, you see it in verses 23 and following excuse me, 26 and following, it says the Day of Atonement. That was festival number six. The reason we're skipping over it is that the Day of Atonement was described in detail back in Leviticus 16, which is why two weeks ago I preached an entire sermon on the Day of Atonement. And If you miss that, uh, they say that the Day of Atonement was the most important of the seven festivals. And so I would encourage you, go online and listen to that message on the Day of Atonement because it's got great significance for your life today. So, but we're going to skip over it since we covered it, and we're going to go straight to the seventh festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, and I got just a minute or two to wrap it up. You should try preaching a sermon someday and cover seven Old Testament festivals in one sermon. So you've been drinking from a, uh, from a fire hydrant, I know, so let me just give you a snippet of this. This was very special because you had to do something. You had to go out on the first day of the Festival of Tabernacles, a festival that lasted an entire week. You had to lop some branches off of a tree, and you had to make yourself a little hut. Okay, you made yourself a temporary shelter, a, a mini tabernacle, if you would, and you went out and lived in that little hut you'd made, that temporary shelter. You lived there for an entire week during the, the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a camping trip, okay? You say, well, why did people do that? Well, it was a reminder of two things. No, number one, it was a reminder that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and then they had lived in the wilderness for some time in tents, in temporary dwellings. But, but this eventually led them to the promised land. God gave them a permanent home. So living one week a year in a makeshift shelter reminded them, oh, God gave us the promised land. You know, when we were wandering around the wilderness, God brought us home, gave us a home. 
The second thing it reminded them of was, even though you think your current home is permanent, it's not. There's another home, more permanent home coming. And this, this more permanent home, it's an eternal kingdom over which God's going to rule. And, and so your current worldly existence, it's like a camping trip. Okay. You know, my, my wife and I just came back from a, another little visit out to Portland to the uh, Lumberjack family. And uh, we brought with us a special gift this time. Sue has been cleaning out our basement, and she decided it was time to get rid of all our camping gear. And so we haven't used it in a while. Now, I, I loved camping, uh, but I'll tell you, I loved even more coming home at the end of a camping trip. You know what I'm saying? Okay, there's nothing, if you've been living in a tent for a week or two weeks, sir, or what, there's nothing like coming home to a fully stocked refrigerator and a hot shower and a bed with sheets on it and, you know, some springs and a mattress and, and what, so, you know, we gave away all that camping gear, and I, I want to say to you, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, one thing you understand is that this life is a camping trip. And, and one day when the trumpets sound and Christ returns and his eternal kingdom is ushered in, you and I will begin to live in an eternal new heaven and new earth. And that ought to change the way we live today. You think about how it ought to influence us. If you begin to understand that this life is a camping trip, but the real deal, the permanent home still ahead... I mean, this is a, this is a deal changer. It changes, it changes how we spend our money. It changes what we do with our leisure time. It changes the, the way we raise our kids. What we convince our kids is really important in this life. It's got nothing to do with a camping trip. It's got to do with what's to come, right? So, so are we living today with eternity in mind? Are we living like this is a camping trip? So I'm going to make sure that I'm ready for this permanent home. And I'm going to look forward to it with all my heart. I love these festivals. Leviticus ain't half bad, is it? So, yeah, we're going to sing a song that celebrates Jesus. We've been celebrating Jesus throughout this service, through our worship, through the teaching of God's word. We've got a closing song about Jesus. It's just a heart mover. And we're going to collect our gifts, which is one of the ways we show that we're not rooted to this life. We're not spending all our money here. We're investing in things of eternal value. Let me just remind you of the four things that the Old Testament festivals point to. They point to Jesus' death and resurrection first. And that, that's going to be celebrated in a couple of weeks, Good Friday and Easter. How will you prepare for that? How will you make Holy Week a big deal for you and your family this week, uh, this, this coming Holy Week? Secondly, they, they point to Jesus in gathering. Have you ever been in gathered? Have, have you ever been brought into the family of God by surrendering your life to Christ? You can do it today if you've never done it before. And then, are you a harvester? Are you bringing other people to the Savior? You could do that in a couple of weeks. Easter and Good Friday service is a great time to do that. And, and then there's the festival that pointed to Jesus' return with the trumpets blaring. Are you ready for Christ's return? If Jesus returned today, is there sin in your life you'd be horribly embarrassed about? Or are you practicing repentance on a regular basis, walking with Christ? And then lastly, there's the festival that points to Jesus' eternal kingdom. Are we living like this is a camping trip? 
And the eternal kingdom, the big deal, is still to come. Are we looking forward to that day? Well, let's sing about Jesus. And then I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come out and close in a word of prayer.